Good morning, everyone. How many of you were happy to see Alabama win yesterday? Okay, how many of you were sad to see Alabama win? How many of you don't care at all? Wow, that, <laughs> losers. <laughs> that means you're from Indiana. Oh, man. Um, well, I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed your weekend. Uh, you know, I, when we get into the holidays and everything, things get real busy. Nobody gets into decorating a yard. Uh, my neighbor made a comment already about my yard, and uh, you're just going to have to suck it up and put up with it. And, um, but it, I was walking through the store, and I was really concerned because everything becomes so focused on, you know, the the holiday of Christmas, but lacking the meaning of Christmas. And, you know, as I was walking through Lowe's, I was looking at all the decorations. They had all the, you know, different kinds of holiday expressions that you can have. And I was really getting sad. And, and then I heard something from aisle five. And, and then I was really happy to see that the spirit of Christmas wasn't totally lost. Only God can do So if you're looking for Christmas, it's at Lowe's. <laughs> this segment was paid for by Lowe's.com. So, <laughs> you know, but really, if you want to get into the spirit of Christmas, we have, starting today, we have an angel tree. And there's just a few names on there for families that need help during the Christmas season. So let me encourage you, uh, you don't have to walk down an aisle and see a bunch of singing Grinches, but you can reach back there to our angel tree and be a part of the spirit of Christmas. You know, I talked last week about how the Christmas story really is difficult for me because it does fall into the realm of cliche. As a pastor, you know, this is what we kind of forced to do. And, you know, uh, we have to talk about this. And so I think even as a Christian, the story becomes so blended with so many other things, we, we forget what it's about. So I, I have been looking at it again fresh to discover what is this. This is not just a fairy tale. This is not just a myth. This is not just one of maybe five different narratives that you can pick for Christmas. You can go with the Grinch story or the Kris Kringle story or the Santa story, whatever story. And so when I look at the story, it's like, okay, God, what are you trying to communicate uh, uh, in this story? And what I see is the reminder of hope on the move and that there are so many obstacles in life today large structures of discouragement and fear, structures of uncertainty, things that uh, impose upon our lives, things that we can't change. I was so hopeful that war was over in Israel last week as hostages were being exchanged, but only to see that the, the war and the calamity has started back up again. You know, things that are not in our control, whether it's financial, whether it's family challenges, or even the internal structures of thought and anxiety, and they rise up and they begin to um, make it easy for us to fall into despair in our lives. It's so easy to have big things, whether they're imagined or whether they're real, whether they're social, they just rise up and they kind of stop our movement. And the Christmas story is one of divine movement in the middle of all this kind of obstructions. You know, there were the structures of government of the Roman Empire and the Jewish nation. 
There were the structures of law and commerce. There was the structure of religion. There was the structure of not being able to find room at the inn. There was the structure of biology where Mary was at a place where she you know, did not know a man. She was a virgin. So there was all these large structures in the way of movement in their lives. And the Christmas story kind of reminds me how Hope moves like a ribbon in the midst of all the structures. In the middle of it, there's this divine movement of life with with this young virgin and this this submitting heart of a carpenter, and God's plan begins to weave through the structures like a divine ribbon of hope moving between buildings, moving between cultures. A young woman moved upon by the Holy Spirit, the movement of angels, the movement of God upon a carpenter's heart, the movement of shepherds, um, to out of the fields and to the place of discovering the Messiah, the movement of the Magi from foreign lands, all of this in the midst of these other imposing structures. And so what we learned and took away last week is that God wants you to know that no matter what the structure is that's between you and movement, that through his power, through his love, that he can begin to restore like a ribbon even if those structures are not moved, that he can begin to restore movement. And we saw movement in the Christmas story. And as I reread it, it's like, no, this story really is powerful. We saw that in the sixth month, how God moved, and he referred to time. In the city of Galilee, how he moved in culture. In family, in the house of David, how he moved in family. To a virgin named Mary, how he moved in biology. Uh, in the questions on how this was going to be, he moved in perception. In the, in the midst of a structure of hostility, the, the decree of Augustus, do what I tell you to do, move when I tell you to move. In the midst of all these structures, God does something. He moves in their lives. And we run into limitations, structural limitations. How can God love me? Because of what I've done or or I'm divorced, or um, I have too many doubts, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, or not educated enough, or I feel like I'm the wrong color, or I'm the wrong gender, or I'm messed up in my life, and, and there's no way God's gonna do anything with my life. And so for a lot of us, we do have structures, whether they're structures we impose on our own minds, whether they are structures that have been imposed upon us, Divine movement is not confined by structural limitations. In Luke 1.34, Mary's response to all this was this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's response was, move in my life. Mary's response was, move beyond and within the structures of my life. Move beyond the limitations of my life. Mary's response was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's powerful. You know, and and especially when you were facing the structures that she was seeing, the limitations that were placed upon her life that she had experienced. And so some of us are stuck in time, in culture, in family, our perceptions of ourselves, 
governance, tradition. Some of us are facing the, the structures of mistakes, addictions, victimizations, age, and even sickness in our body. All these things. Life does not lack structures that rise up and hinder our movement. And so every one of us experiences these at some point in our life. But God wants hope to move in you today. That's what the Christmas story is about. It's not about the structure of presents, not about the structure of Christmas trees. It's a reminder that God has moved and does move and will move in the midst of the most impossible structures of your life. No matter what has risen up in front of you, no matter what has risen up in your mind or in your thoughts, that God wants you to know he can move in the midst of anything. Unfortunately, you know, as we go through life, we become a part of these structures and we lose movement. It's kind of like the experience becomes a structure. We, we lose awareness of God. We become our pain. And I know some of you have been there. You, you become your pain. You become your victimization. You know, the culprit's gone and then your victimization becomes your life. We become our addiction. We become hopeless. We become disappointed. And then when it all adds up, we become our own bitterness, our own anger. You know, um, and it just kind of like becomes a structure and we kind of collapse in it. It's, it's kind of like those horrific images that came back from Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the, the atomic bomb was dropped. And you could see the images of people, the carbon um, uh, leftovers on the walls from where the nuclear explosion happened. And you could see the images of people. It's, it's like digging through Pompeii and looking where Vesuvius erupted and then came down in the heat and the plume and all that. And it just kind of encapsulated their bodies. And you can visit today and you can see the, the bodies of the individuals, the shells of it. And that's what happens to us. Is that our pain, our, our, our loneliness, our disappointment, um, is not just the thing anymore. It's like we step into the wall of it. We become part of the structure of our disappointment. Sometimes God removes the obstacle. Sometimes he routes us around it. And sometimes he takes us through it. See, most people are, are not aware. I, you know, and I say this, it's a little screwed up part about my brain, the way that it works. I'm, I am partly neurotic. Um, there is a part of me that a lot of people go into the body, uh, Bible looking for miracles. I actually go into the Bible looking for difficulties because I'm experiencing difficulties and I want to see how other people dealt with difficulties. And so I don't go in there as like, how the heck do I get out of this situation? It's like, no, how do I live through this situation? That's what I look for. And most people are not aware that when Jesus is born, that this process goes on for about three to five years. I mean, he's born, and then we find him in Egypt. How screwed up can life possibly get that you are born the savior, the, the deliverer of Israel, and you find yourself in a matter of months 
not even in your own country, totally displaced. It seems that to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem for Mary and Joseph and the unborn child was about four to five days, roughly 92 miles. It was probably traveled through Jericho and uh, the Judean desert to avoid racial hostility in Samaria. Nothing different than what we're seeing today. The wise men came when he was about six to 18 months old. The family then fled to Egypt about a year later and stayed about a year until Herod died. Joseph wanted to return to Jerusalem, but was instructed by God by an angel and they ended up in a town known as Nazareth. So this entire journey from birth to return took about three to five years. We would assume, if you're like me, um, wouldn't you assume if God was in it, it would be so much easier? Isn't that how we mostly decide whether or not we're hearing from God or not? Well, if God opens up a door, that's, this is all mythology. It's kind of like American mythology. If God closes, opens one door or closes one door, he opens another, or he'll open a window or, or something like that. Well, well I, maybe you're blessed enough that you had a door closed and another one opened for you. you know? Well, what about the rest of us that when a door shuts, the door stays shut and there's no other doors opening? <laughs> you're stuck in that marriage. You're stuck with that bad back. You're stuck in loneliness. You're stuck in a hard place. You're stu- I mean, and, and so we have this mythology of how things that should be, that if you're a Christian, it should be easier, right? And, and, but when we look at the Christmas story, that's not what God's telling us. It's, it's like, no, this story was a journey. We're all excited about the angel, so we stick an angel in our front yard. We're all excited about the manger, so we stick a manger in our front yard. Nobody sticks Egypt in their front yard. I mean, we're like, you got anything from Egypt in your front yard? We don't celebrate that he was displaced for five years. We don't celebrate that he was harassed. We don't celebrate that Herod went and wiped out a whole bunch of children. I mean, we, we don't, you know, that because we anesthetize it. We, we expect our Christianity to be without difficulty, without hardship, without structures that oppose us. But everything in this story is oppositional. Herod, Augustus, um, biology, wealth, economics, everything in this story is oppositional. And I'll tell you what, and God still pulls it off. And that gives me incredible hope. Because in this story, hope keeps moving. But what happens to us is what would have happened to me. If I was Joseph, um, if I had experienced this kind of level of difficulty, uh, okay, made the trip to uh, Bethlehem to, to pay a census, okay, I, with a pregnant wife, yeah, okay, maybe, okay, we'll do that. Um, not finding room at the end, yeah, I'm starting to get a little ticked, you know. I'm beginning to question, yeah, this can't be God. And if it is God, this, is, this, is, this ain't cool. This is too hard. But I would have to say, going to Egypt would have been the final straw. I would have been like, or getting stuck in Egypt. It would have been like, I'm done. 
we're just going to settle here. I'm going to open up a carpentry business here. We're just going to do it here. Um, and I'm not going any further. But God continues to move within the structures. Because there is hope in this. See, our lives become static. Hope gets put away with the Christmas decorations. You know, it's like I have a whole shelf in the garage of bins, yellow and black bins. You guys have those also? Yellow and black bins. When did America decide that bins were going to be yellow and black? What group of people got together for a cup of coffee and said, let's make America store everything in black and yellow bins. But I got them all over the place and I got them up against the wall and they're all stacked and they're all labeled. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And... um, Our lives become static. We put hope away. We put hope away with the decorations. But there's hope in this story. Um, The revealing of hope that is experienced through the coming of Jesus that has the real power to animate our lives. Listen to this verse. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. It's not kind of a part of the Christmas story that we normally read, but it is very much the Christmas story. But the part that I look at, and and again, I told you, I am a little bit neurotic. The part that I look for that in this story is this part. For those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadows. That's the part That's the part I look at. Because what is that? Sitting in darkness. That's not resting. That's resigning. And too many of us are now resigned to the conditions of our lives. And he came to a people who were just like, they were so harassed, they were sitting in darkness, the shadows of a life passed, the shadows of disappointment, the shadows of shame, and they just sat down and said, I can't go any further. And that's when Jesus appears. In the midst of this place of of not resting, but resigning. This is the way that it's going to be. And I want you just to apply this to your life, wherever it is. I mean, for you, this may be speaking addiction issues. For you, this may be speaking about your marriage. It may be talking about your relationship with your grown children. It may be um, a plethora of things in your life. But it's all the same. It's all about resigning. This is the way it's going to be until we die. And it says that a light of the tender mercies of God visit us from high, on high. And the ribbon of hope begins to move in the lives of people who can't see it, in the lives of people who are shadowed and resigned. God wants to restore movement in our lives. I mean, like real movement. And we may have elements that resemble life, but God wants to bring new life. I mean, we do, right? I mean, you kind of like get to a place and you have something and you're like, well, I got that and that's really cool and now I feel alive. I got a a grown-up job. I've got a grown-up 
mortgage and I've got a grown-up car payment and I've got a grown-up marriage and I've got a grown-up kid and I got and and you kind of like and then you if you've done all that you think you're going to feel grown up and you're going to feel like wow life man awesome and then for some reason when you've done all these things that you think will animate your life you end up at the place I don't know what the age is because it can happen to anybody at any time but all of a sudden you realize you know what I thought grandkids was going to transform my life. They don't even want to visit. Or I got to chase them around the United States of America or whatever it may be. Uh, And it's so easy. Now, my grandkids do want to visit. I I just got to throw that out there. I I like my grandkids. But there's going to be a point. And I have already talked to Susan about this. I do everything possible. Grandparents, if you're here, you got to learn this. You, you got you to gotta spend your money, okay? If, if your grandkids are a little, buy a Switch. You know, and play the Switch with them. If they get a little older, buy a PS5, you know, and, and, and play Call of Duty with them. If they get a little older, buy an ATV. If they get a little older and you live on the coast, buy yourself some jet skis. If they get a little older and, and, and they, they smoke weed, well, then get you. No, I'm only kidding. I just, I, I just thought I'd draw the line there. But, but, but seriously, and, and, and so I've, I've been doing everything. But I tell you what, there's a point when Christopher and Jojo and Polly are, and, and, all, and all the grandkids, they're the point where they're going to be like, I don't want to go to Papa's house anymore. I got a girlfriend. I've got a job. You know, I've got my buddies. I don't want to have to go to Papa's house. And I know that moment's coming. And it's going to be like, what do I do now? I'm not Papa anymore. And, and I know you're like, well, you know, grow up, man. It's like, but the, the thing is, is we put our hopes in so many things to animate our lives. And when the only thing that really can bring us out of resigning is the hope that comes from God through Jesus. So we have resemblance of it. For instance... I don't know if you guys have ever gone to the Van Gogh experience. That's absolutely incredible if you've ever experienced it. But you know, there's this famous painting called Starry Night by Van Gogh. And, and I've, I've seen it animated before and it's really cool. But uh, he captures the idea of movement, you know. And, and the picture of Starry Night is a picture of movement. But guess what? Nothing's moving. And so, and so for a lot of us, when we look at the Christmas story, you see, oh, look at that. Then the wise men, and then the shepherds came, and the angels came, and glory, and excelsius Deo, and, and all that stuff. And for a lot of us, that is just a static painting of movement that somebody else experienced. But what if Starry Night actually moved? But not only if it had moved, but if it became immersive. Let's watch.
so beautiful. And that the comparison between what Van Gogh painted, the image in your mind about what life should be like. We all have a picture in our mind of what we want our lives to look like. And the reality is, can be so far different. Jesus came to bring life in the midst of the shadows. He came to bring life to those who have resigned. He came to bring life for those where the door shut and another door didn't open. In places where movement is lost, in relationships that shadows are covering. Listen to what the Apostle Paul discovered. I mean, he just, he just was so passionate about this because he experienced the Van Gogh transformation. He talked about the movement of hope of God that was accomplished through Christmas, through the, through the Christ giving of God. He said, listen to this. Praise be to God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his son, uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ. I mean, what is going on in this? What is coming out of Paul's heart? Paul speaks of movement after death. He speaks of life after failure. He speaks of coming alive because of what God has done in this Christmas story and then carries all the way to the cross of Christ. Paul has become alive because God desired it. Paul has become alive because of belonging. Paul has become alive because of forgiveness and grace. Paul has become alive because of the revelation of the Spirit of God into his soul. Paul has come alive through Jesus because it pleases God for you to be fully alive. You cannot reanimate your own life. Um, there are some things that you may wanna do that you may think will animate your life. Uh, maybe the life, the love of a spouse um, maybe a child's obedience, um, maybe uh, a pay raise, maybe adding a new hobby um, will we'll do it. Uh, maybe losing 15 pounds will reanimate your life. Or maybe, and, and I can remember in my first marriage that our, what we thought would fix the first marriage was that we'll have another child. That maybe having another child child would reanimate the relationship. Um, maybe you're even at the place where changing genders, that you would think that maybe if I do this one thing, my life will be reanimated. But we can't reanimate our lives. But God can. God wants to bring to life in every single one of us purpose, meaning, 
belonging and value within you and within the structures of your life. Um, you know, uh, we, we have a word that we use or people use when, whenever somebody searches after God, pursues after God, learns about God. We, we use a phrase and we will call them religious. And um, I don't like the word religious. Um, it, uh, the reason why I don't like it is because it's, it's inanimate. You know, it's, just think about a person being religious. It's kind of like a statue. It's kind of like an, an object. And I don't think of myself as a religious person. Uh, it's like the difference between a home and a house kind of thing, you know? Um, so a lot of times I, I would refer to myself as a spiritual person uh, because it's better than religious because it invokes what? It invokes movement. Somebody who's spiritual, you feel like there's movement in their life. They're not just a list of ethics and moral code and obligations to a divine being. But when somebody's spiritual, you, you, you feel like there's more movement in it. But my little pea brain doesn't like the word uh, spiritual either. Because I don't think it's stepping into Van Gogh's picture enough. It's just animating it. It's not immersive enough. Because it doesn't give you direction to the movement, right? Because there are so many people in America right now, there's, we have a, a drop maybe of people who believe in, in Christianity, but we have a rise of spiritual movement in America. People are moving, but that's not enough just to have spiritual movement. It lacks direction. So what do I call myself? If I'm not religious and I don't refer to myself, because these are too static. I am this. I am a child of God. I am beloved of God. I belong to God. It's like, you can't call yourself that. You call yourself religious or spiritual. They don't have any box on the questionnaire that says religious, atheist, child of the living God, belonging to God. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let the world, the shadows of this world, determine the direction and the movement of my life. I am a child of God. And if you are anything less than that, then let me invite you into something greater because there's not only a painting, an idea. There's not just a movement to an idea, but there's the immersion into the idea. And the only thing that, is, that defines immersion into the idea is being born again, a child of the living God. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph spent five years in Egypt or away from their hometown and in Egypt. It was not their career choice and it was not in their five-year plan for their family. But in the midst of it, in the midst of being where they did not want to be, with the doors shut. The prophet Hosea in chapter 11 prophesied and said, I will call my son out of Egypt. The family didn't even know they were gonna end up in Egypt. 
But the wisdom and the providence of God knew that he could call his son from everywhere. And he knew where he was going to call him from. Where you are right now, you may be in a foreign land, in a place of disappointment, a place of a lack of fulfillment. You may find yourself in a place that was not in your five-year plan. Your marriage may not be working out the way that you thought it was going to work out, but God knows you're in that place. And he can call you out of the disappointment of that place. God made a promise saying he would call his son out of Egypt. But you know, God made a promise to you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That promise is just as strong as Jesus coming out of Egypt. God wants to give you more than a reanimated old life. He wants to give you a resurrected life. He wants to give you more than an old painting that moves. He wants you to be born anew and afresh of the Spirit. Today, God is calling you out. And the structures, Egypt was still there. And Herod was still there. And Augustus was still there. And the poverty of Nazareth was still there. And all the oppositions to Jesus were still there. But they came out of Egypt, led by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, the love of God, led by the hope of God. And Jesus fulfilled the calling of God for his life. God wants you to experience life in the midst of the structures. And some of you are in a place right now, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to just give up to just resign I know what it's like to use because some of you aren't like that some of you are like I'll be darned if I'm going to give up so you'll just do your best song and dance you know at work you know and you'll try to get another degree and you'll do all this other stuff and you'll get a augmentation to your body and you'll do whatever it takes you'll Botox the heck out of your face to try to reanimate and I'm just telling you, guys, it wears off. And then you just got to figure out what now. And so why not start now? God's calling us out through the Holy Spirit, through the, the cross of Christ, that no matter what your obstacles are, whatever your structures are, God says, if you'll come to me, if you'll respond to me, don't harden your hearts. But today, if you hear the Spirit of God and you will respond to Him through Jesus Christ, He will begin a good work in you and He will promise to complete that work. Father, thank you so much for this moment. And God, I, I know I'm, I'm in the midst of a crowd right now that's not a hand-raising crowd. And we're not a walk up front to the altar kind of church. I don't know if that's good or bad. But God, you're calling us all out, wherever we are, saved and unsaved. You're calling us out of our resignation. So Father God, today, I present my heart to you all over again, that this Christmas story is not a myth. It's not just one of five options for December 25th. 
but it is the story. This is the hope of God on the move. And today that hope is here. And as we eat the, the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of your death on the cross, and also in remembrance of your resurrection over all structures, even death, today I declare Jesus Christ, Lord of my life, Savior of my soul, and I step into your story because your story stepped into my life. We receive you, Jesus Christ, the sunrise from on high, who has visited a people sitting in the shadow of darkness. You have come with your tender mercies to give us hope. 